Welcome to Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast, the podcast where two dudes dive into cinematic masterpieces from a different decade each week. From black and white classics to modern day blockbusters, we'll be covering it all. This season, we've been focusing on romantic comedies, and for our sixth episode of the season, we're calling in the consultants. We're back in the main millennia. We are watching none other than the modern day classic, Hitch and Rick. Not only that, but we are dirty liars. Parker, I heard uh, heard you talking about the idea of a threesome earlier this week. Do we have an update? Rick, we're not just talking about it. We're living it right now. We have a third dude here on the podcast today. Everybody, all of our loyal fans and listeners out there, please give a warm welcome round of applause to AJ Stewart, dude number three. Hello, hello. Glad to be here. I'm sure that... Producer Becky will put in some sort of clapping effect there, so it's not awkward silence for you. I like how you, Parker, you like looked left like he was next to you. <laughs> it hey. would be funny if at this point we revealed that we were in the same room. Yeah. <laughs> we're all staring at each other. Our backgrounds are like room. wildly different, but just that other wall right there is just like a completely different. Our backgrounds are just giant pictures we've had printed at great cost. <laughs> so we'll just look different. Just to look so different. Contrary to popular belief, though, we are in different spaces. Mark, I got a recap for you. Rick, I was literally just about to say that, but I don't want to be the one to say it. AJ, you're new here. Why don't you kind of get us, why don't you tell Rick to do his recap? I hear that you usually like to do a recap on these movies, Rick. Is that the case? This is the case. I, I did it a few times on our first movie, and it did not go well, and Parker told me to shorten it, so then... <laughs> Now they're not much of recaps. I just try to make jokes. It's true, and it's so much better. We see if any of them land. Sometimes they don't, sometimes they do. They always land in my heart, Rick. I had writer's block today, but I struggled. I got through it, and here's where we are at. New York City, apparently still the only place romance happens in the world. In this movie, we meet a man who wants to change the world. A man who wants to make a living by making love. Yes, you heard that right. This is a movie about making love happen from thin air. In Hitch, we meet a man who uses his particular set of skills to help a multiverse version of Parker get the girl of his dreams. <laughs> this is Hitch. <laughs> oh, man, that's, uh, that's good. That's good, because I was sitting there watching this movie last night, and I was like, Albert Brenneman is literally me. That grew on me throughout the movie, but the like flashback of Hitch in college, that was the first time that like, pointed out, I was like, hey, that's kind of Parker. So are you saying I'm both Hitch and Albert Brenneman? I'm probably the best parts of both of them, let's be honest. Your college Hitch and I guess current Albert. <laughs> oh, no. Put, in, put into one person. What a combination. <laughs> Moving in the wrong direction. I don't know. It works out pretty well for Albert, if you ask me. It's true. Enough. I mean, he's, he's in the financial sector, you know? Yeah, and it worked out pretty well for me. I married a producer. That's true. P producer Becky. And you're dressed like him, Burke. This is your everyday wear. Yes, I'm channeling my inner Kevin James meme. The meme that will, at this point, probably have already run its course about six months earlier. But here we are. Can you describe for me and the listeners what that meme is? Because I am actually completely unaware. We'll put it up in the edit, but that doesn't help you at all. Basically, it's like Kevin James, and he's kind of like shrugging with like a smug smile from like the mid-2000s. Got it. It's from that TV show. It was a King and Queens. Oh, yeah, baby. It was on. It's a photo. Oh, yeah, I sent it to you. It's like an ad from that. Got it. 
Well, guys, I think we've had enough fun. It's time to get down to the brass tacks. Not not just down to business, but brass taxes. Clark, that sounds sexual. Explain it to me. Uh, it just means that we do taxes that are brass, which is serious, Rick. It's as serious as the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's a great transition, Park. How about you start us off and tell us you're good? Rick, I thought you would never ask. All right, here are my goods. Number one, Hitch's character. I think, arguably, that this is the most complex and nuanced character in a rom-com we've seen up to this point. I absolutely adore his character arc throughout this movie. I think it's so strong. It's actually nuanced and like detailed and rich and... There's flaws to his character, but he's... It's just great. I love it. I love his character. I love his arc. Rick, the jokes. The comedy in this movie is absolutely my favorite. Just from the opening sequence where he steals the dog and gets the cab to move up to, like, right before it looks like he hit to save that dog. Just, like, from that moment on, I was like, this is my comedy. I'm in this. And then every time Kevin James was on screen, I, like, couldn't help but laugh. Another thing, which is a big issue for me in a lot of rom-coms, is I really believe in these romances. It's really difficult in a two-hour movie or an hour-and-a-half movie to make a relationship likable, believable, something that you're rooting for. And Becky is my witness. When Hitch kisses Eva Mendez, I was cheering. I got up. I was, like, giving a football cheer at that, Rick and AJ. Sorry, I'm not used to saying and someone else. And then, of course, how can you not root for Albert? Albert's me. I'm rooting for myself there. I, I was actually booing Albert every single time. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Unbelievable. <laughs> you have no heart it's or soul. because I pictured him as you, Park. So it's And you don't want to support me? What does that mean? What What's going on here? <laughs> Finally, my last, my last good, because there are plenty of goods in this film. I love how the story develops. I think this is a really tight script. I think that it's written really well. I think the transition into the climax, the the end of the second act, our darkest night beat feels really natural and organic in the way that they set it up and the fallout between Hitch and Sarah, which is another thing that I feel like a lot of rom-coms don't do well is like, oh, the misunderstanding and it's very unbelievable but this was a well thought out and well done misunderstanding and a lack of communication that played the part in the uh the drama so all that being said those are some of my goods aj why don't you go next those are some good goods all right um for me i had a few things that either gave me a good chuckle or I just really enjoyed the first thing that I that I thought of watching this movie was Kevin James dressed exactly as Dwight K. Schrute from The Office when he was sitting on those courthouse steps. I meant to send you guys a picture because it was spot on. He had the Dijon mustard shade of shirt um, to the tie, to the glasses, everything. He even got a little mustard on him there at the end. He did. <laughs> and it is full circle. Yes. Um, so some brilliant writing there. I, I love seeing him dress as Dwight. I think that was kind of a a perfect choice for his clothes because his character is kind of clumsy and just has some of the same qualities as Dwight, except for the psycho craziness. Um, my next thing that I thought was a good was 
the wave runner scene. I loved the wave runner scene. I was mm-hmm. really surprised at how much I liked the wave runner scene, but part of why it's on my good categories, because I watched this movie. I don't think I've told you all this. I watched this on a plane yesterday, most of it on the way back from Tampa, Florida. And yesterday have- morning, I was on a wave runner before what? I watched the movie. <laughs> That's crazy. Did they have this, this movie on the plane, like on the flight? Was it one of the options? Parker, I have something called an iPhone. And I downloaded it before I took the flight because I knew we'd be doing this podcast today. Okay. All right. Fine. I'm not bougie enough to take flights that have screens. Who do you think I am? Hitch? (laughs) The third thing that I wrote down is the Butcher of Cadiz. I want to know how long it took them to come up with that that name for a serial killer from 100 years ago. I want a prequel to this movie. The origin stories of Sarah Mila's family. I love the callback when they got into the fight in his apartment. She like called her the butcher. <laughs> yes. That was perfect. And I'd already written that note down before that. So when they called it back, it was just... It was awesome. And that's the beauty of this film as well. Something is introduced and there's always some sort of payoff later on as well. So many things come full circle. Nothing is, is wasted in this in this story. Yes. I like that. I like that whole scene for the most part. We'll get back to some of the, the parts. I didn't like so much of that scene, but... I liked her reaction in that moment too. The like kind of senseless noises she made when he realized it wasn't going according to plan. I got a good laugh out of that. And then on when when Hitch had had the allergic reaction and he was laying on Sarah's couch and he had ingested a ton of Benadryl, it was kind of slap happy on Benadryl. At that point in that scene, the point wasn't really that his face was mangled on the right side of his face. And so I thought it was really clever that he was laying on his right side and they had really sharp lighting. So you couldn't really see the side of his face that had been affected just so that the point of that scene could be better interpreted and noticed and not uh, the focus was no longer on kind of the gag of his face being all mangled. Look at you, Mr. Film Critic right there. So deep. I don't know if I'll ever have a note in the history of this podcast that's focused on the lighting. I guess we'll find out. I've had a few. No, I said me. Yeah, I know. I, I, I always have to turn things back around well, to yeah, me. Yeah, but you work, you work in the industry park. Yeah. That's expected of you. I guess that's fair. Well, AJ, those were good goods. Well, thank you. Thank you. That's why I'm here. Rick, we're running on a good, good high. So are you going to give us the good, good goods? Yes, the biggest good I have is Benadryl. I protected myself during COVID with Benadryl, not the vaccine, as many people have. So big, big Benadryl guy. Nice. Always put it in the coffee in the morning. That's how we work. I said, I like having Will Smith talk to me in my living room more than Woody Allen. I wasn't feeling Woody Allen. He's like, not a guy I, would, I really want coming over in my living room. But Will Smith, he's invited to my living room, I think, any day of the week. Interesting, Rick. Even after all the drama surrounding him the past year or so? I think I would still live in my living room, of course. Without a doubt. All right. All right. Immaculate vibes of the three opening songs. To be honest, I finished this movie about an hour and a half ago. I can't actually tell you the names of these songs. I didn't look them up. But it was Chef's Kiss. It was the first note I actually wrote. And uh, lastly, Park and AJ. It is weird having the ands now. Let's get used to it. I know. It. I told this, you. We, this, will be, this will be a reoccurring guest, I think. I guess we'll see how this... This is like the trial. So we'll see what happens. We're going to let the audience decide. So if you like AJ, let us know. If you don't, he'll never be back just kidding so my biggest note on this movie is this is the ideal fx movie so i've given the fx movie 
description as like a negative. You gave it. You gave the FX movie description to our sixth episode of the season last season too, the two thousands, the two thousands movie. Because I was like, I want a movie that I like. Kind of just wake up from a nap, I turn on, and it's like a good, it's a solid movie. Actually, I watched this movie, I think in middle school on FX at like one a.m. in the morning, and it was great. So I really believe this is the ideal FX movie. I don't actually want to experience this movie any other way. I want it on FX. I want ads happening every 15 minutes. That's what I want when I watch this movie. Wow. Ads of Benadryl, if I'm actually trying to be exact. So it's so interesting how you used, like you said, the FX comparison last season as almost like a negative, but now it's a positive. It's because it's like it's comfort and nostalgia for me. You know, it's like it's like warm milk. For my soul is like solid fx movie that's some good goods rick i got i also gotta say referring to those immaculate vibes that you were talking about i feel like this was the first movie of our season that felt modern but also felt classic and timeless like it very much was like wow this is so two that like early 2000s like pre-smartphone pre-technology era but at the same time if it had that modern feel to it that I think a lot of the other rom-coms we've watched this season have not had, if that makes sense. If this happened today in a movie today, we would just be seeing uh, Eva Mendes with an iPhone. She wouldn't need the photographer. He wouldn't be a character. I know. It would just be her with her, her iPhone. I was just thinking about when she first comes back into the office after her vacation and she tosses the camera to like an employee and like, hey, have this this film like printed out on my desk this afternoon. I was like... What world are we living in? Well, guys, I think I want to get my bad out right out of the way. It's really short. It's sweet. Please do. I really think I wanted real Benadryl. I, I'm i a big believer in method acting. Rick, are you a method actor? Well, I'm not an actor, Bark. We've seen my acting. It's not there. That's true. We have. <laughs> uh, I know there's going to be a hitch, too. I guess it's in talks. It's in talks right now. So I guess I I'm, I really hope that Benadryl comes back in Hitch Two. That's a big, it's a big wish, the desire, if you will. That's I guess that's the only that's the only little bad I have. We got some other. I'm gonna later, di- I'm gonna divulge though before we jump any farther. Rick, what else is on your your Hitch Two wish list? I feel like I want I want Timothy Chalamet in it because I feel like he's like popping up in remakes of everything. I think we just got to keep it going. Okay. What type of character would he be playing? Would he be a nerd? I feel like he could pull off a nerd. Actually, no. He would be the guy that and that was like in the end of the world movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. What was that movie? Don't Look Up. He'd be Don't Look Up. That's the version of him. Okay. AJ, why don't you give us your bad? I see you have a, a few things here. Yeah, before I get into my bads, I do want I want your opinions. I want to know, do you have an opinion on what season this movie was in? Because I have some thoughts, but my first bad has to do with that. Well, I was doing some deductive reasoning a little bit before we started recording this podcast. And initially, my gut reaction was summertime. But then I, re- I realized, I realized they went to a Knicks basketball game, which means it has to be sometime between October and April. It's not past April because the Knicks aren't in the playoffs. I can assure everyone of that. So it's most likely, in my opinion, fall because Eva Mendez's character just got back from vacation where she caught Allegra Cole's 
boyfriend at the time cheating on her on the beach that she was at. So she probably had a late summer vacation, and now it's fall in New York City. That's my opinion. I probably am going to refute this opinion. You're going to what? I don't think that's true. Oh, yeah? I think that there's something going on here, right? There has to be a basketball game. There has to be an NBA game, which that would at least have to put it in October, November. When does NBA start? Uh, the NBA starts in October, and it goes all the way till April, Rick. In October. So we have an average, the high in October in New York City, it looks like it's 64 degrees. I saw a lot of short sleeves going on 64 degrees, a little, not enough, I think. So I think that this movie is shot in the summer, and maybe there was a summer league Knicks game, is that they were at? <laughs> a summer league? I think that's where the movie sin is. That's where the ugly is going to be for me. I, I saw quite a few jackets and sweaters throughout this movie, so I don't know about summer. Because my first bad has to do with the scene that I really enjoyed on the Wave Runner. It must have been cold. And I know they they had their wetsuits. So you can wave run any time of the year in your wetsuits as long as it's not ice. But then they walk into the museum and they walk around a giant museum. Have you ever been in a warm museum? Mm -hmm. I've been in that museum. Okay. Was it warm or cold? It was warm, I feel like. I don't remember. My argument is unraveled by the second. <laughs> Sorry. And it's funny, actually, we were in that museum in that same space where that scene takes place in October. And I remember being incredibly comfortable. Okay. Well, you have just proven me flat wrong. The movie was shot in March. Well, shot in March doesn't yeah, mean that's shot what in takes March place. Is a, they shoot Halloween movies in the summertime. No, no. They only shoot Halloween movies on Halloween. They have to wait each Well, year. it went to a real... <laughs> yeah. The shot. Some of the shots are from a real NBA game, so it would have been an NBA game in March, too, so I feel like it would have taken place there. Well, fair enough. One way or another, I still believe, watching it, that of this quote-unquote perfect date he planned, a major flaw was walking around dripping wet inside of a museum. Either way, that's true. That would be uncomfortable and cold. And I don't think they would have made it to the book without her putting up somewhat of a fight. Hmm. Tied on to that, and maybe arguably much more important than that, would you really want to be on a wave runner in the Hudson? Because the Hudson, I believe, is the dirtiest body of water in the United States of America. Hmm. It is quite gross. There's an entire episode of Seinfeld about it. And uh, he does at least mention it at one point when he says, I think... I drove over a, a diaper. diaper, which yeah. is pretty funny. But if you're planning the perfect date, wave running seems cool. But if you're in a polluted, stinky body of water, would it really pan out the way that the date expert planned? Well, now that you're explaining that to me, that makes that scene so much better because not only does he kick her in the face to make her like fall in the water, but he's kicking her into like really crappy water too. <laughs> it's true. It's true. That's a good point. Yeah. Literally crappy water. Yeah. literally crappy now i have a question about that scene which makes me love the scene even more is and i know we're doing bats here but this might be more of a good do you guys think that he i mean it seems obvious to me but it's never directly mentioned a reference but the wave runner dying on him that had to have been intentional and part of his plan to get them on the same wave runner right i don't know that's a good point i feel like i could see it playing either way i think part of Everything that revolves around Hitch's dates with her is that nothing goes according to plan for him. 
And so that could just be the first instance of it not working out the way he envisioned it. That's true. I could see it playing out either way, but I think it would have been kind of a smart move to have planned that into the quote unquote perfect date. That's very like smooth, like a smooth idea that I could also see his character performing. Right. There's like, that's like the first time I guess they would have had like physical touches if they were with each other on the same jet ski. And when I was watching it this time, I feel like I was watching it through the lens if it was intentional, but also Parker is right that I feel like everything goes wrong in all of his dates. So, well, if it was intentional, I don't think it was a good move to force her off the driver's seat into the back. I agree with that. It would be the cooler move would be to let her drive him and feel and be in control. But AJ, she doesn't know where they're going. How's she going to figure it out? How are they going to get to the book where she cries? He says, say the museum. How about go that way? (laughs) (laughs) Mush. Go. My only other bad is kind of a nitpick. At the end of the movie, when Hitch goes to Sarah's house, or apartment rather, and knocks on the door, she opens up, he, he expresses his love for her in the most authentic way we've seen him do so yet. And then a guy walks out. And it's, no one mentions anything. First of all, we find out it's her brother-in-law. And it's a, I'm just saying, it's a little sketchy that her brother-in-law is there alone with her in the apartment. And no one says anything about it. It's just, it's just worth noting. Secondly, it seems like this in movies... It always bothers me when, like, I can understand her not wanting to say right in that moment, it's my brother-in-law, you don't have to worry, because she's mad at him, whatever. The guy walks out and overhears this guy expressing his love for her, and he just carries on as if he's her boyfriend or something. And wouldn't you be a little feel a little awkward to be the brother-in-law and not say, hey, I'm such and such, I'm her brother-in-law, if they don't introduce you or whatever? I interpreted that it was kind of like a gag that he, they were pulling on on him in the sense because like the sister shows up down the street and then they walk over to each other and like there's that kind of that reveal i assumed it's like the brother-in-law doesn't live with her but it was used as a way to kind of test hitch and or to get him to stay away from her like the brother-in-law is coming in to do a favor to protect her type of a situation if that makes sense he was just kind of a warm body, though. Yeah. He didn't really give off like any intimidation vibe. He might have been a little too warm. That is true. That is true. I think that that was kind of an unnecessary thing at the end. If there is a negative for me, that would be one of just like, what really was the point and purpose of that? Where is the logic behind that as well? It's, I just feel like that was an unnecessary kind of like twist to throw in there to like have a little doubt in the audience right before they get together. And I have to I have to argue with you a little bit there because she didn't know that Hitch was going to show up. So I don't think it was a gag that they prepared. I think probably what was supposed what we're supposed to believe was happening was the sister had left and they were just close behind her on their way out the door right when Hitch showed up or something they're waiting getting ready to go to wherever they were going. To bring up your point of would I say something if that if that was happening? No, because I'm incredibly awkward. I would probably just walk out and not say anything. So I'm right there with the brother-in-law. Maybe the brother-in-law needs Hitch's service. Uh, that's true. <laughs> yeah, maybe they need to have a conversation after this. Well, I don't know if he if they would because he's a brother-in-law, therefore implying that he is married. Well, Parker, that's all I've got. I want to hear your bads. My first bad is very important. And it was something that I wish was in the movie, but isn't. I really wished 
that the guy that was cheating with his college girlfriend was Chris Rock instead of some random dude in the car. You know, obviously it would be funny back then, but it would be a hundred thousand times more funny in today's context. So that was a desire that just never came to be. So that's a bad instantaneously. Sorry, Park. My second bad, which is a little more uh, serious, is the characterization of nerds in this movie. I don't know. I feel like it's a little outdated. It's a little old school of a view. There's not complexity in the way they show nerds. They're all kind of like stereotype nerds of how you imagine nerds in media to be portrayed, especially in the opening montage sequence where there's like three different guys. To take like a personal offense to this Yeah, book? I do. I am a struck a chord. I'm a nerd. <laughs> These are my people. We need to be represented properly in film. There were some stereotyping going down all throughout this movie. Do you guys remember the, the doorman, Raul, who called him Poppy? It's <laughs> yeah. like Hispanic doorman literally called him Poppy over the intercom. Yes, that's right. He's like, stop calling me Poppy. Nothing as bad as Breakfast at Tiffany's though, right, Rick? No, nothing as bad as that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's something right there. The films have come a long way in their stereotypes from uh, the 60s to now. Oh, also, this like goes to your characterization of nerds. When I was looking at facts about the movie, as I always do, you know, you got to prepare a little bit. I guess like there was like a sheet of paper that Will Smith had and he was like writing down the types of movies and music that Albert would listen to. to I guess like get a picture, a vision of this, like when they're in the office and I think one of the movies on there is literally like Revenge of the Nerds. I think Lord of the Rings is on there. So it is all like the typical, the old school view of nerds. That's my bad. That's really my only like critique bad of the movie. Now I'd love to hear some some uglies. What do you boys got? I'm sick of New York City, Parker. Rick, is that an ugly for this film or is that just your pet peeve with the rom-com genre in general? It's both, because my tie into this film is even Albert is sick of NYC as well. It's his little vision of him and Allegra Cole, their little dream together. They're not in New York City, they're over in San Francisco. So obviously he doesn't like New York either. That's true. So I'm just, I'm sick of it, Park. Good observation, Rick. I tried. I'm just wondering if we're going to get through this whole rom-com season without ever leaving New York. There is a possibility. But maybe, just maybe, we will next week, Rick. I will cherish the day. That I do not have to see New York City. New York City. Speaking of New York City, my other bat, my other ugly, sorry, this is not bad anymore, I'm disgusted right now, is they were at a Knicks game, okay? Yeah. We can agree. Knicks game was versus the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies won that game, so I don't know why there was a lot of cheering. They handedly won this game. I looked it up in NBA history. Wow. The Knicks only won 23 games that season. Also, Park... This is not realistic because I did not see Spike Lee or Jack Nicholson in the crowd next to them. Were they courtside at the... They were courtside, but like kind of behind the basket. They were behind the basket? They I thought they were inside. behind the basket. Maybe I'm crazy. Either way, I should have saw Spike or Jack Park to really give me the the real atmosphere. This movie's just so unrealistic. That's all I got. Those are some good observations, Rick. Thank you. That's like Rick's superpower is... He just finds the most incredible observations that no common man could ever observe. You won me over. I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. I'm so disgusted by those. <laughs> While we're on just running random uh, stats like the Knicks overall score, I quickly tried to estimate how much money Hitch is like charging 
And I kind of got like, he's probably charging between five to $10,000 for his services. Yeah, I could see that. How did you figure that? Well, I was doing it based on, I like looked up what I would think would be the cost of a New York apartment in 2005 that had like that view. Cause he kind of had like a really sick view and it was a pretty big apartment. So like, I kind of got to a point to where he probably had to have a salary of like 125. So I was trying to figure out in there. Estimating how many clients he had per month. Uh, after 125, I feel like I just kind of settled at 5,000. I didn't actually get really too into it. And then I like looked up to see if anyone like ran the numbers because there's Reddit pages for everything. I don't think I necessarily saw something on this. I saw something somewhere that said that Albert probably paid him 25,000. <laughs> That's a drop in the bucket <laughs> once he got with Allegra. That is true. Albert Albert came out with a profit on this. This was, an, this was actually an investment for him. This was the <laughs> ultimate investment move. It's true. Uh, interesting observation, Rick. I was going to say that could be your claim to fame if you uh, create that Reddit post right there and actually calculate and figure out Hitch's price point. There are some mathematicians on there. I think I think I would do it, and then like 8,000 people would point out where I'm wrong. Well, I'm selfish, so I'm just going to jump you, AJ, and give my ugly. And I have one ugly. Will Smith beating up a man in a restaurant. And like two or three years ago, like this wouldn't be an ugly. Like it w- it wouldn't. But obviously we all know what happened in that faithful Oscar night with Chris Rock. And I just can't look at physical violence in Will Smith in the same light. And so it just gave me the ick. It gave me the ick, boys. I should have put that in a good. I feel like that was good for me. <laughs> Fuck, that was the best part of the Oscars that I've seen in my entire life on Earth. No, don't get me wrong. It was great entertainment for the Oscars and television. I'm just saying, looking back and watching Hitch now and seeing that scene, I can't help but feel a little uneasy about Will Smith as a man. Well, I guess we can see how he built up quite the uh, the repertoire, if you will, of, of moves. I'm with you, Parker. I don't condone bullying. And, and in fact, he was... What was the guy's name in the movie who was such a sleaze, sleaze bag? I don't remember. We'll call him Sleaze. Sleezard. Oh, I think it was Vance. I'm looking at the IMDb. Vance. It was Vance. Vance was the, the sleaze bag that was just looking to get to third base with Eva Mendes' best friend in the movie that Hitch wouldn't work with. And honestly, when he was on stage at the Oscars, gave more Vance vibes than Hitch vibes. Yeah. But Vance did uh, assault Hitch first. That's fair. I guess there's a little more merit there. But at the same time, it's still just... It makes you ick. It's ick. We still have the ick if it came out in like six months, even though it'll never come out, that it was uh, all staged at the Oscars. I don't know. It's so ingrained into me now. I, I might. Okay. I've also just heard things about people who have worked with Will Smith on sets before. Nothing violent. Give us a little tidbit. I don't really have anything of substance to share, just that he's pretty intense. He can be an intense individual, his persona that he gives off at at the very least. But, you know, people have good days and bad days, and they have tough seasons and easy seasons. And so when that person was working with Will Smith on a project, just might have been going through a rough season. That's why we have Benadryl, to cure those rough seasons. AJ, what about your uglies? You know what? I got to add on to that. It's just now coming to me. There was a scene in this movie where Will Smith slapped Kevin James twice, just light slaps across the face. Do you remember that scene? Yeah. Woo, boy. That did not age well. Foreshadowing. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. 
So I've got two uglies. The first one, I've got three words for you. Square business cards. That that made me so repulsed seeing the square business cards. <laughs> Nobody likes to get a square business card. Where in my wallet am I going to keep this? It's either going to be too tall for the little nice little wallet folder that the cards go in the card holder, or it's going to be too too narrow and it's going to just have too much wiggle room in there. Can I stop? I was you at a conference. Sorry, can I just stop you for a second because you're just open my eyes what is that called in a wallet where your card is it called a card holder is that what that's called inside a wallet i'm gonna go with little card folder little card folder. little card folder okay i I'm, i'll support that all right that's what i'm gonna call for the rest of my life now thank you all right continue yeah so i was at a conference one time that said that you should do you could do your business cards in different shapes to to help stand out in the business world and I think that that is a load of absolute BS because no one likes when you get a business card that's just not a rectangle. Uh, it's it's a pain in the butt and you'll forget about them immediately because it'll go in the trash can, at least if you're if it's me. So my other ugly maybe is a little bit more broad than that. And that is, I feel very passionate about this. Albert Brenneman would not land Allegra Cole in any universe. I don't care if you've got Hitch helping you it's this rom-com universe. And this honestly is probably more of a commentary on this whole season y'all are doing. I've not been a part of the previous episodes. I've not seen all the movies that you've covered, but I, I, you know what? You guys are both married men. Love has worked for you. Love is yet to work for me. So maybe that's where I'm coming from. AJ, I got to disagree with you because I, I am Albert Brenneman and I did marry Allegra Cole and her name is producer Becky. You married a multimillionaire? Well, un- unfortunately, not that part. Very famous. I guess, I guess Becky is famous, but... She's producer Becky. That's pretty famous. Parker, you wake up every morning knowing that you can just stay home and never work another day in your life because you married rich. Is that true? That's exactly it. I just work for fun, not for not for practical reasons. <laughs> oh, boy. Well... Maybe this movie has inspired me. Maybe I'll go out and find my Allegra Cole. There you go. I'm really just in it for the money. You need to just channel your inner Albert Brenneman. That's all it takes. Just got to teach a girl how to whistle. (laughs) Teach a girl to whistle. I'll keep mustard on me literally at all times. (laughs) That's there you go. You're set mustard dancing, whistling. Those are the, those are the three keys. Speaking of the dancing, I, that did not work for me. That was a bit of an ugly for me. The dancing, uh, all the hard cuts. No, yeah. that was I don't so know. Good. I was watching like, it, yeah, it didn't work it, for me. With Usher in the plane as the song too. Like, yeah, yeah. Like that is that is per- perfection. That it is... felt like a worse version of, which is this is, it felt like a worse version of Tom Cruise dancing to Werewolves of London in uh, The Color of Money. The iconic <laughs> He can kind of pull that off, and Tom Cruise kind of does that in every movie. Kevin James, it was a bit much. It's a bit much. I love the dancing again because that is me. I am Albert Brenneman. It's on brand for Kevin James movies and entertainment, though. I feel like some of that is him. Oh, a lot of that is him, I'm sure. Well, the script wasn't finished when the movie was started shooting. They like wrote a lot of the script as they were, were going. Those are always the best movies to be a part of, let me tell you. I also learned that Tenet was the same way, which makes a lot more sense to me. 
Interesting. You'd feel like a movie like that would have to be. I know. I was, for some reason, the same article that I found this movie was written like that. Tenet was like the comparison. So that's really weird. Interesting. <laughs> that would make sense why it's so convoluted at the end. I know, I end. know. <laughs> but I feel like it makes sense why they're, the ending is a little weird. But I also, in a similar way, think it makes sense why the comedy is so good. Because you do have like two comedians in a way like will smith and kevin james probably figuring out a lot of the delivery out themselves if they are writing the script as things are going i'm sure there was a lot of improv on set but but also that really shocks me because i i feel like this is a pretty tight script this is a good story and the fact that you're telling me that they were winging it to an extent i heard that they relied on will smith's like overall charisma a lot so i think that will smith was winging a lot of things interesting very interesting wow well good job will i got little birds that i listen to work these are not this no articles i'm reading i i talk to people you've got birds at the ready yep we're gonna move on to our new segment for this season then and now by this point in the season, most of you have probably figured out what this segment is all about. But for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, this is a segment where we talk about the differences and similarities to the genre from then to now. Rick brought up a great point earlier. He brought it up before our podcast and our pre-meeting as well. That this movie very much took inspiration from Annie Hall for Breaking the Fourth Wall. And talking to the audience, Rick, you said that's you read an article that was literally where that was that aspect of this movie was taken from. Like the intro, in a way, was taking on that, like kind of opening up with like the first time you see the main character is really like in that light, or like whether because I I forget do we see do they start with the the dog scene as the very first thing, or do we see Will Smith talking to us as the very first thing, or is it all the same? I don't know what the very first thing is, but it's a montage of three guys. And I don't think we see Will Smith until after she comes out. No, that's not true. Because he dog naps. He he dog naps the dog. But either way, he's like, he's talking to us, I guess. Like, he's breaking the wall immediately. I think if you're going to do that, and that's going to be a, a story element throughout the entire movie. You need to, you really need to establish that right at the get-go. So I can see how there's that inspiration from Annie Hall, but also that just makes sense from a storytelling standpoint to introduce an element like that at the beginning of your film. You don't want just out of nowhere, like halfway through the movie, Hitch like gets off the jet ski and just starts talking to you? No, no. <laughs> then, it, then we're getting into like Transformers territory where there's like this random voiceover at the very beginning and end that just makes no sense. Is that just Optimus Prime? It's Optimus Prime, and it just doesn't... I, it's like... We could talk a lot about Transformers. I have a disdain for most of them. I don't know if I ever... Actually, I'll, I guess... I'll, I don't want to watch Transformers 2 talk about them, so never mind. <laughs> There's enough of them out now where we could do a whole season on oh it, Rick. <laughs> like other rom-coms, it follows a similar path in cliches and story beats. So obviously you have the friend that is also dealing with love problems and you know the falling out towards the end of the second act, the miscommunication, the reconciliation and the third act, the climax where the guy is running to the girl to, you know, rekindle the relationship. All of the clichés that we've come to know from this genre are there. But again, it's done in a fresh and unique way. So that 
that's really the important thing is stories have all been told. It's how are you going to incorporate your fresh spin on it? And I think Hitch does a fantastic job of that. Somewhere I feel like this this film divulges in a different direction from other rom-coms that we have watched and experienced throughout the season is the incorporation of two fully fleshed out relationships. It's not the first rom-com that has multiple relationships. You can go back to Harry Met Sally where you obviously have Harry and Sally, but you also have their friends who end up together and getting married as well. But those type of relationships are always happening on the side. They're kind of like sideline relationships. A lot of the romantic interest is happening off screen or there's big jumps in the relationship. Whereas in this film, you know, Albert Brenneman and Allegra Cole and Sarah and Hitch all are building organically for the most part on screen. And I think it's really impressive to me that both of those relationships work so well for me, considering a lot of times you get rom-coms where just the main relationship doesn't work. So to incorporate two fully fleshed out uh, romances really elevates this rom-com to new heights for me personally. And I think it's something that differentiates it from the standard of this genre. That's all I have uh, for the the then and now. But Rick, I, I believe you have a little extra information that you wanted to share that isn't necessarily talking about the genre itself, but is about Hitch and its place in the rom-com box office history books so this is the third i guess most successful box office wise rom-com that there is this is right behind what woman want and my big fat greek wedding also what's interesting is out of the top 10 rom-coms this actually premiered in the most theaters i don't know if that has to do with anything a lot of stats on box office mojo wow rick thank you so much for those insightful insights i don't know what else you wanted me from this park no that that was great that was great you gave us a little a little texture, a little flavor into box office history right there. Well, I do feel like it shows how many people like have seen, I guess, like have seen Hitch. Like Hitch does have somewhat of a cultural impact. Jason Tatum literally has a tattoo now of like Benadryl Will Smith's face on his leg. Oh, I, I think this movie definitely has a, a cultural relevance and impact, probably in more ways than probably half of the movies we watch this season. And we've watched some pretty big hard hitters so there's no question about that and that you're right that does raise up the point that there are so many people who have seen this movie enjoy this movie see something of themselves in this movie in this story it's time to move on to our next segment stupid questions that's s-t-o-o-p-i-d stupid questions and we've got some stupid questions for you today rick aj Question number one, why would Will Smith slap you? I'm going straight off the dome here because I've had no time to prepare for this one. Will Smith would slap me because I would tell jokes that he doesn't get. Rick, you got anything? Why would Will Smith slap you? Um, if I like have like a wrong opinion to one of his movies. If I tell him, like, hey, the pursuit of happiness, I don't get it. I think you just slap me. I would get slapped by Will Smith because of my wildly impressive dance moves and being able to court his wife from him. I think that would get him a little upset, mainly because he doesn't have my caliber of dance style. Hmm. He definitely does not have your dance style. I think that is accurate. Ooh, 
All the people who are just listening could not see me bust out a move right there. Actually, most of the people watching probably didn't see it either because we have speaker mode on for our podcast recording. But I was busting some moves when Rick was talking. I didn't see anything, Park. I didn't see it. I don't know what you're talking about. Cannot confirm. Oh, my. Cannot confirm. Oh, my gosh. Unbelievable. I don't know what you were doing, but it was not dancing. It looked like you were in the new Exorcist movie or something. Hey, I worked on that, by yeah, the way. So I plugged it, Park. Wow, plugging my, plug my movies in, Rick. I appreciate that. Boys, I got another question for you. Have you ever done the 90-10 rule? Is that, is that what you follow? Is that your, your code? This was the first I've heard of the 90-10 rule. I got to be really? honest. Yeah, I'd never heard of that before. I don't know that I've, uh, you know, I've never put the moves on with such intentionality in that in that region on a, on a first or second or third date in such a way as that before. Interesting though. I'm so, I'm so amazed that you've never heard of 9010 before. I had heard of 9010 before I had seen this movie. Just the cultural relevance of the hitch, I guess. I overanalyze everything. So I feel like I would always, after the facts, if I was like talking about it with guys or something, I think I would like think like, oh, did I go 9010? Was it more of 85, 15? I don't know. You never want to be at 85, Fark. You got to hit the 90. Rick, I was going to say you look like an 85, 15 type of guy. Uh-oh. I know, but 15-er. I'm a 15-er. That's what, they, <laughs> that's what they call me. How could you do that, Rick? I might have been 15 in all these years for all we know. I'm kind of mortified. Yeah, that, that'd be really embarrassing. Could you imagine waking up one day and realizing you're a 15-er? I'd rather... I'd rather get slapped by Will, Will Smith. <laughs> yeah, what, if a, <laughs> what if you were just a 100%er? I was going to say, Rick, that's me. You're 100%er? 100%er. Ask Becky. Hey, producer Becky, am I a 90-10 guy or am I a 100-0 guy? Come here. Say it to the mic. Ask her Ask her like when you guys first started dating. What do you say? It's inappropriate as a producer? Yeah. No, it's, it's... Well, is it inappropriate that I'm sleeping with the producer? Like, I don't know what you want right now. You're not married anymore? You're just sleeping with her? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it. She walked away. She didn't answer, but we all know it's true. I'm 100. I guess I've seen a park. You're definitely 100. <laughs> Thank you, Rick. We've got one more question in this Pandora's box, and AJ was actually the one to come up with it. AJ, do you want to ask your question to us, your stupid question? Okay. We were talking earlier about the possibility of a hitch two. So I want to know what you guys think would be some good names for said hitch two besides... Hitch 2. Okay, I had one pretty much at the ready ever since I saw this question. Hitch and seek. Find me if you can. <laughs> that That's actually an incredible name. That's fantastic. Hitch and seek. <laughs> I think mine would be Hitch 2. The Rise of the Butcher of Cadiz. I like the Butcher of Cadiz as a prequel. I thought that was a really good idea. Yes, thank you. I uh, I did a little AI search in Rick's fashion on some names for this, the sequel to Hitch. None of them are very good. The best one on here is Hitch colon Love Reloaded. Love Reloaded. <laughs> love Reloaded. That sounds like a really crappy like 90s action movie. Yeah, it's like The Matrix Reloaded. I don't <laughs> know what they're going for there. I think if it was me, I would do... The Lion, the Hitch, in the Wardrobe, probably. Something in that lion, arena. The Hitch, in the Wardrobe. There's so many ways 
to interpret that movie title. Obviously, it's a play on the Narnia movie, but like if the Narnia books and movie didn't exist and that was the title, like I don't even know how I'd comprehend what the movie was going to be about. The lion would be the name of the protagonist of the new movie. It would be some, I think it would be uh, a sultan in another country that Mm. kidnapped him to use Hitch's services and he had to live in a wardrobe while he was performing them. Wow. That would be a dramatic difference from the first one, specifically because we're not in New York City. But <laughs> <laughs> but I'm for it. I'd buy that. I'd buy, I'd buy a box office ticket to any of our suggestions. I just for some reason had got the view of he kidnaps him, but it's like Kim Jong-un from like the interview when he like really <laughs> wanted to meet <laughs> James <Yeah>. Franco. <laughs> Kim Jong-un kidnaps him. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, guys, those were some really good stupid questions. I'm glad that we got to do those. We would love all of our listeners out there. We'd love to hear some of your answers to the stupid questions. So please feel free to comment below on wherever you're listening to this podcast and tell us why would Will Smith slap you or have you ever gone 90-10? Or what's your Hitch 2 name idea? We want to hear it all from you. So please let us know. We love to engage with our audience out there. Rick, AJ, it's time for our fun activity of the week this week we're going to do something a little differently rick we were talking we're like do we do an ai script reading do we do you know a buzzfeed quiz you know stick with our staples nay nay we're going in a different direction today we thought this movie is all about you know giving advice on love hitch has made a business out of that and so i wanted to give all of us the opportunity to all of our listeners out there to share life altering piece of dating advice you just get one thing this is the only chance you get to share your advice on dating with the two dudes one movie podcast listener fan base what is it margaritas with the salt rim wow that was fast i had a locked and loaded park don't do wine stay away from wine you don't want to get sleepy you know wine wine's fine with a few dates in but you want to you want to start out on the margarita front Rick, I almost feel like this fun activity has turned into a uh, food review. We haven't had one of those in a while. It has been a while. I feel like nothing's really captivated me. I did do extensive research to find the exact bottle of wine that Eva Mendez was drinking out of the bottle from. I actually lost the link, but I did find it. It was about €8.79 at the time. When did you have time to find that? Because didn't you watch the movie like an hour before <laughs> we started yes. this? That was, that, that was one of the first things I looked up. Wow. <laughs> straight away right when the credits rolled <laughs> aj what about you do you have any life altering dating advice parker i have a great one for you this is a good first date tip specifically and it's okay. led to many a second date for me which is order the same thing that she orders whether you're at a coffee shop whether you're at a restaurant it's statistically has been proven that it builds trust when you order the same thing that she ordered. Wow. What if she orders the thing that you absolutely discussed on the menu? Like, isn't that like starting off your relationship on a lie? So for Parker, if it's fruit. Yeah. What if she, what if she gets a fruit bowl? You're telling me I got to order a fruit bowl. This is a good, uh, yeah, this is a good point because if, if a girl was with you on a date and you ordered frozen pea soup, what do we expect her to order the same? <laughs> I just like would love to hear Parker's internal dialogue. He like takes a girl to like 
chilies. Like, all she orders is, like, a salad. I'd be so pissed. No protein, like a side salad. And you're making me order that, too, at Chili's? I'm getting my bottomless chips and salsa, man. That's the first thing I'm doing. I think it's a good rule. I think it applies the best at, like, a coffee shop. That makes a little more sense. It's safe. There's there's not as many directions to go in a coffee shop. Yeah. Well, I think one of the best things to do is people watching, because people are funny. And it's funny when there's, like, in the initial dates, if someone... If, like, one of the pair chooses something to, like, eat with their hands, whether it's, like, a hamburger or something like that, or pizza, and if it, especially if only one party does it and the other one has something with, like, a fork and knife, because they just look, they just look so funny to me, because they're, like, trying to figure out the right time to, like, take a bite and just hold their burger. I've seen it so many times in restaurants, so I highly recommend. I've not noticed that one, but I will be aware of that as I'm on first dates in the future. Yep. And and to all of my ex-girlfriends who I'm sure are listening to this podcast, now you know that I've ordered the same thing as all of you on the first date. You've, you've out your secret, not even just for your ex-girlfriends, but all your future girlfriends, AJ. They're all going to know now. The things I do for this podcast. You are sacrificing for us tonight, and I really appreciate that. Park, I don't know how you're going to top that advice. I, I'm not, but... Here is my life-altering piece of dating advice, and this is based off of personal experience. Those are the best types of advice, if you ask me. It's 2005, the year of Hitch. High School Musical has just aired. It's the hit of the town. (laughs) You're an awkward tween, not even a teenager, not a child. You've just realized girls are something great. Now it's time to impress them. What do you do? Who do you call? Well, you probably don't have a cell phone because it's 2005 and you're 11. But what you do have is inspiration from Troy Bolton. And what does he do? He gets in front of the school and he sings a song. And let me tell you what. I thought that I would ask my crush to sing the High School Musical duet song, Soarin' Flyin', in our talent show. (laughs) And I went to go do that at Family Fun Day, and I said, hi, and then froze up. And then after about 15 seconds, ran away. And that's as far as I got with that. But what I'm trying to say here, boys, is you got to tell the girl to sing the song with you. If she says yes you're set for the rest of your life. Wait, wait, wait. Were, did you run off the stage or did you run out of the interaction with the girl to ask her? I, I never got to the stage. <laughs> it was the interaction with the girl to ask her. I have a really wonderful voice, so it is a shame. I just wish you actually got to a point to ask her to see what what's the rest of the interaction <laughs> would have played out. <laughs> probably, probably fantastic because this is my life-altering advice for people. <laughs> We would have lived happily ever after, but it worked out because I that person I was going to ask was not producer Becky. So I would have been stuck with someone that's not producer Becky for the rest of my life, and that's not what I want. That is what you call your wife by every day. <laughs> every day, producer Becky. Producer Becky just said that that was terrible advice, but I beg to differ. Well, Park, I think it's time we have a smooth transition to the ROM and the COM scale. That makes me a little sad, though, because that means we're here at the end of our podcast. So you want to you give a quick explanation of how the scale works to either new listeners and our guests? 
Well, for all you idiots out there that don't know what the ROM and the COM scale is yet, just kidding, you're not an idiot if you're listening to our podcast. If you're not listening, then you are. But the ROM and the COM scale is the ultimate grading scale to determine the score of a rom-com movie. You decide on a scale of 1 out of 5 for the ROM and a 1 out of 5 for the COM. You smash those two numbers together, that's your final score. The ultimate perfect grading system, flawless. It's been through rigorous testing and diagnostics, and it's come out on top every time. There's no other way to rate movies. Rick, why don't you go ahead and be the first one to do that for our young buck AJ over there. On the ROM, I'm going to go with three. You know, the ROMs were split. We had two different ROMs going on. Romances, that's what ROM is short for. So I think they were a little they were a little more watered down at certain parts. So I'm going to go three. I think it was good. Was it great? Com, I'm going to go a four. It was about where I like my com. I generally like my com at a five. But I think it could have been a little better. So we're going to go with a little four there. Which brings us to a seven out of ten park. That's a solid movie, a seven out of ten. That's admirable. I'm going to go next so that our guest can be the last one, because that's where all the anticipation is going to be this week. Rick, I'm giving the ROM a 4 out of 5. It's not the perfect ROM, but it's very enjoyable. I bought into both the relationships, and the fact that we get a 2 for 1 in this is a big win for me, so 4 to 5 on the ROM. For the com, this is my comedy, Rick. I was laughing audibly multiple times throughout this film. 5 out of 5. If you can make me laugh audibly in your movie you get a five just look at the mirror park therefore rick a nine out of ten a nine out of ten on the rom-com scale that's that's i think tied for the highest score i've given so far or maybe harry met sally might have been a 10 out of 10 nonetheless nine out of ten wow parker that's some high praise for the calm in this movie it is Um, i gotta say i gotta say i really enjoyed this movie I, for whatever reason, enjoyed it more than I expected to. I like a good rom-com, but I don't expect to enjoy them usually as much as I did enjoy this one. That being said, the rom, I'm going to give the rom for this movie a four. I thought the rom was good. And I think for me, some of these rom-coms where maybe some people would say that the romance is really heavy and and strong and it's a five, I might actually go the other way because I have a hard time buying in, as I expressed earlier with Albert Brenneman, um, to certain over-the-top romance through lines in movies. But I really enjoyed this one, and I thought it was mostly very well done in terms of the Bronx. So I'm giving that a four. The calm, now, if I was going to just rate this, the calm in terms of rom-coms, it would get a higher score than I'm going to give it on a pure comedy scale. And so the score I'm going to give it for calm is a 3.5, which is still good. I thought that the comedy was strong and funny, but it doesn't hold a candle to some of my favorite comedy movies that maybe are lacking some more of the rom. So you land it at a 7.5 is what you're saying. I do. A 7.5. You're the first person to do a point something in our rom-com scale, AJ. Is he? I think so. You're lucky I kept it to one decimal point. Golly, it could have been like pie. Life of pie. (laughs) Life of pie. (laughs) 
Rick, what is next week's movie? So I just said, Park, it's the life of Pi, the greatest rom-com. <laughs> Park, we are watching another movie that I first watched on FX. Wow, this is just the FX season for you. Park, my main experience with rom-coms, as we will find out as we go through this, is just me watching a movie alone at 2 a.m. Generally, it's what FX plays. So, Park, we are doing a great movie. One of the greatest rom-coms of all time. Crazy Stupid Love. Crazy Stupid Love. That's the theme song. <laughs> yeah. It is. You excited, Park and AJ? I am. I cannot wait to hear that episode. I will not be here, but I am an yeah. avid listener. This was a one-off thing for AJ. How do you love your five minutes of fame right here, AJ? I'm beaming right now, Parker. Beaming. The world can see me now. Well, we loved having you on. I'm sure we'll have you on again at some point in the future. Who knows? We might bring other listeners on. Maybe. If you are such a super fan of the Two Dudes, One Movie podcast, we'll, we could make it a Three Dude, One Movie podcast for you one week as well. Just let us know. But you have to share it with 100,000 people to make that list. It was It was tough, but I made it happen. AJ, we look forward to seeing you again when you share this with a million people. Thank you, and uh, it, it won't be long. <laughs> it won't be long, I'm sure of that. All right, everybody, this has been Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast, the podcast where two dudes dive into cinematic masterpieces from a different decade each week. From black and white classics to modern-day blockbusters, we'll be covering it all. Thank you so much, AJ, again for joining us. Rick, it's a pleasure as always. And thank you, all of our listeners out there who tune in week in and week out to hear us talk about some of the greatest movies of all time. We appreciate all of you out there. Thank you again. Until next time, boys and ladies, we'll see you then. Let us know in the comments who's more dateable, Albert or Parker. That's good, Rick. Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast is an independently created podcast. Like, rate, follow, and subscribe wherever you listen. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube where we post full video recordings of each episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast. Thanks for listening.